Hello and welcome to The World Today. It's Wednesday the 24th of January. I'm Stephanie Smale coming to you from the lands of the Turbul and Yugara people in Brisbane. Today, cost of living relief or a broken promise. We'll look at Labor's Stage 3 tax cut shake-up and hear what taxpayers think. And the summer of extremes drags on, with a heatwave along the east coast and a cyclone brewing up north. Heat can kill people. It can make people with underlying health conditions tip over into a much worse control of their condition. So it particularly affects the elderly, young children, particularly babies. So look out for each other, look after yourself. Labor MPs are considering the Prime Minister's controversial move to change Stage 3 tax cuts before the full policy is revealed tomorrow. The opposition are accusing the federal government of breaking their much-repeated promise that it was sticking with their plan. The original policy was designed to manage bracket creep in a bid to stop Australians losing more and more of their pay packet to tax. But with the cost of living crisis hitting hard, Labor is hoping the tax relief will outweigh any hurt over broken promises. Angus Randall reports. Under pressure to ease cost of living pain, today Prime Minister Anthony Albanese promised extra relief will be coming to more Australians. This proposal will be all about supporting middle Australia. We know that there are cost of living pressures on middle Australia and we're determined to follow the Treasury advice to provide assistance to them. The exact plan to shake up Stage 3 tax cuts remains unknown, but it's believed low and middle income earners will get a new tax break and there'll be a reduced cut for higher earners. It's been approved by Cabinet and the Prime Minister is taking the proposal to the full party room today before unveiling the policy in full. The opposition calls it the mother of broken promises. Shadow Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Birmingham says middle income earners might lose out in the long term as their wages increase and they're pushed into higher tax brackets, known as bracket creep. There are twice as many Australians in the top income tax bracket today than when the threshold was set for that tax bracket. And that's purely a result of bracket creep, that people have been pushed up into that tax bracket over time. And if you don't address it, then what Anthony Albanese and Jim Chalmers will be doing is possibly giving some people a little bit more today but many of those people will be pushed up into those higher tax brackets tomorrow and in the years ahead. Innes Willocks is the chief executive of the Australian Industry Group. He says the government is missing an opportunity to simplify Australia's tax system. What was proposed here was a flattening out, a simplification of the taxation system so that people earning between $45,000 and $200,000 were paying the same tax rate, 30%. Well, that from reports is now not going to happen. We're still going to have a four-tier tax system, which continues to create issues around what's known as bracket creep, people moving into new tax scales, disincentivising them to work harder and to want to earn more. Dr Richard Dennis is the Executive Director of the Australia Institute. He says workers getting tax relief will forgive the government for a broken promise. Is it going to be politically deadly for the Prime Minister to give the vast majority of Australians far bigger tax cuts than previously? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, has he broken a promise? Yes. 
But it was an inappropriate promise. It was a policy designed by Scott Morrison seven years ago, before COVID, before a cost of living crisis, before real wages fell for consecutive years. So yes, it's a broken promise, but it's still a very good idea. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus says the focus has to be on Australians hurting the most. Hardworking Australians have been absolutely smashed by cost of living. That's happened because of global inflation. Their wages have been going backwards and they've struggled to pay the basics, struggled to pay rent, struggled to pay bills. And this has been going on now for far too long. It's a government's responsibility to act when this is happening. The Prime Minister will address the National Press Club on Thursday. Angus Randall reporting. So how do voters feel about the government tweaking the Stage 3 tax cuts? David Sparks talked to people in the suburb of Miranda in Sydney South about whether they think it's the right move. I'm here on the main drag through Miranda. It's one of Sydney's southern suburbs. I guess you could call it a suburb that is working class to middle class. There's quite a few people walking around today going about their business, so let's ask some of them whether they think it's okay for the government to do something a little different to what it promised with those stage three tax cuts. I just agree with the, with the government in doing this. What about the fundamental principle of an election promise though? What's an election promise? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, there is devious ways of saying things and there's honest ways of saying things and all politicians are devious in one way or another. That's the end of the story. It means people earning over $180,000 won't get the tax cut that they were going to get. Do you, can you understand if those people are a bit miffed? They might be, but why? <laughs> How do you, how we are allegedly in a financial crisis. You know, you hear it all the time, blah, blah, blah. A lot of it's a lot of rubbish, but these promises were made by a previous government and this government foolishly went along with them when it cut to power. Do you think it's OK to break a promise in that no, situation? No, definitely not. I mean, you shouldn't break promises in any situation, let alone something like that, as important as that too. What if the financial situation in the country has changed so radically and the cost of living has become so much tougher that keeping the promise is no longer the economically sound thing to do? Well, no, I mean, as I said, you know, promise is a promise and, you know, we're all under under the pump and particularly pensioners. You're a pensioner? Yes, yeah. yes, I am, yes. And I, I find it, it hard to make ends meet sometimes, so you have to just watch it. No, I think that if you're, you know, making promises to people to get the votes in an election, then you need to stick to those promises. Otherwise, it's almost like false advertising. What if the economic situation changes hugely after the election? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with the cost of living and everything, I think that obviously things need to change, but they should change across the board for everyone, not disadvantaging some, you know, one group of society and, and not the other. Don't make promises if you can't keep them kind of thing. So the government's going to effectively break the promise. What do you think? I think circumstances change and you have to move according to circumstances so promises do have to get broken occasionally so you've obviously been following this um, and you know it's because of the cost of living obviously you've heard the government's line yeah. Yeah. when you say circumstances change I mean tell me what you mean what do, what do you see as the circumstances changing well the cost of living that we're in a crisis at the moment there's so many homeless people and there's lots of help for the really really struggling low income earners or unemployed well not even the unemployed anymore but it's just low um, earners it's yeah. the, the middle income earners and 
you know, the ones on the average incomes are missing out on all the family benefits and I have three teenagers and they're all struggling with rent and food and and they don't earn over $90,000, not yet, they're still young, yeah. yeah. So you're obviously in that middle part that you're talking about. I am. I'm, I'm actually very grateful because um, Albanese followed through on his promise for aged care workers. I work in aged care, so we got the good pay rise. So, But it's, it's not enough. Let me ask you this. You think it's OK under extreme circumstances to break an election promise. Do you think it's going to be hard to convince the rest of the population that it's OK to break a promise? Well, not the ones that are suffering, no. <laughs> the ones that are earning the big money, yes, yes. That report by David Sparks, speaking with people in Miranda in Sydney's south. On ABC Radio, across Australia, streaming online and on the ABC Listen app, this is The World Today. Thanks for your company. Longtime media executive Kim Williams has been named as the next chair of the ABC, taking on what he calls probably the hardest job in media in Australia. He spent decades running news and cultural organisations, including time at Rupert Murdoch's News Limited. Kim Williams is taking over from Ita Buttrose as the ABC juggles tensions between the staff union, management and the board over reporting of the Israel-Gaza war. And he's already making his views on the ABC's responsibilities clear. Rather than having a fairly grudging response to scrutiny, the ABC needs to welcome scrutiny because scrutiny invariably makes things stronger and better if it's done with the right spirit in mind. I think we need to be much more focused on primary responsibilities and it well behoves all of us not to bathe in self-congratulation but to constantly be focused on how do we improve things, how do we make it better. Former ABC presenter and reporter Quentin Dempster joined me to discuss the appointment a short time ago. Quentin, who is Kim Williams and what experience is he bringing to this role? Kim Williams has been in... And media and the performing arts uh, all his life. So uh, I note he's a, a great advocate for the creation of original Australian content, in particular music. I mean, he was associated with Music Aviva for a long time. So um, uh, he's got a good track record on that, but he's across the brief more than you'll ever be or I'll ever be because he, he uh, reads and um, he's strategic in his thinking. He, was, he worked for News Corporation for Murdoch for uh, a number of years, both at uh, the Fox uh, Studios in Sydney, in the old Sydney showgrounds, remember, and then Rupert picked him up to orchestrate the, what was meant to be the digital transition of uh, News Corporation outlets in Australia, but everybody was well aware that he was uh, ahead of the game on digital transition because uh, newspapers are, you know, on their last gasp, free-to-wear TV is... Uh, is in uh, what looks like terminal decline uh, because everybody's now accessing content on their devices. So that's a challenge for the ABC as well as every media player. This is a tough time to take over for a string of other reasons too, particularly given the current division over diversity and independence at the ABC. How do you think Kim Williams will tackle those issues? He'll go to the requirement of the ABC Act, which is his duty. And if you're on the board of the ABC, if you work for the ABC, you've got to look at the ABC Act. And that is to, uh, you've got no editorial position to take, for example, on 
uh, Israel uh, and uh, Gaza and Hamas, uh, but you've got an obligation to report fearlessly uh, to the accepted standards of objective journalism. So that's that's code for fearless fearless uh, journalism, and uh, he'll line up for that, uh, I'm sure, uh, and back all the all the journalists. Uh, now you've got to do journalism in the ABC with a lawyer by your side, to, because Australia is highly litigious now with defamation proceedings. So you've got to make sure that you've got defensible content uh, when you uh, when you post material. So it's that's a big challenge. I'm I'm quite satisfied that Williams will will line up and ask the managing director as editor in chief. You know what's the substantiation there. Uh, and uh, they'll have to be uh, uh, on top of their game. So I've got no problems with Williams on that. The big challenge for the ABC is the adequacy of funding because I'm sure he'll want to grow the ABC in coming years. So that's a, a question for the Treasurer and the, and the Expenditure Review Committee of the Cabinet. Kim Williams has said the ABC should not bathe in past glories but focus on being innovative and comprehensive in the 21st century. What do you think that means? Well, the Act says the ABC is a comprehensive broadcaster. That means you've got to do everything, uh, every genre, documentary, drama, uh, entertainment, the specialisation of uh, science and education and environment. (laughs) You've got to be comprehensive. At the same time, the ABC has been defunded uh, over the last uh, 10 years. And if you can't, it it makes it very difficult for boards uh, wanting to be comprehensive and having good content up on all those uh, genres and stretch across multi-channeling in television, all the radio outlets, uh, international coverage. It's uh, it's a big it's a big ask and, and, a, and a struggle for a board which is, has depleted funding. So I'm hoping Williams, uh, now that he's confirmed as chair when he takes over from Ita in March, will actually start to advocate to say the ABC needs adequate funding to do everything a comprehensive public broadcaster has to do. Former ABC presenter and reporter Quentin Dempster there. To the United States, where former President Donald Trump is vying for the Republican presidential nomination in the northeastern state of New Hampshire. As polls close, the Associated Press is projecting Mr Trump has won the primary election. His sole remaining challenger is former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who's insisting she will keep fighting for nomination regardless of the result. Rachel Hayter reports. At a polling centre in the northeastern US state of New Hampshire, Republicans are casting their vote for the party's presidential candidate. It's now a two-horse race between former US President Donald Trump... There's never been a movement like this. Make America great again. ..and former UN ambassador Nikki Haley. This is a live-free-or-die state. Let's make it a live-free-or-die country. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out earlier this week to endorse Donald Trump. Mr Trump and Ms Haley differ, especially on foreign policy. Haley is in favour of NATO and supporting Ukraine, while Mr Trump is critical on both fronts. Their differences are reflected in their supporters, who've turned out to vote in record numbers. Well, I don't see her trying to overthrow the government, so that's always a plus. Trump must not get back in because of democracy. I don't think 
she is as strong a leader. I think she's not nearly as proficient in the workings of Washington. Well, I pray to God every day for Trump to keep him safe and to make him our next president of the United States. The New Hampshire primary is seen as an important indicator of how candidates are faring. The New England state is traditionally more moderate, but opinion polls indicate Donald Trump has built up a clear lead. Dante Scala is a politics professor from the University of New Hampshire. So if you look at, say, compared to Iowa, many, many fewer religious conservatives here, many fewer social conservatives, even among the Republican Party. And New Hampshire conservatives tend to prefer to talk about the border with Mexico, taxes. What they don't prefer their candidates to talk about are social issues such as abortion or gay marriage. Nikki Haley is insisting she'll keep fighting for the GOP nomination regardless of the result. From here, though, it's definitely the case the hill gets steeper for Nikki Haley. Republicans, Republican officials are itching to end the primary early and unify against Joe Biden. Of course, that's something Donald Trump wishes for as well. Mr Trump secured an overwhelming victory in the Iowa contest last week, the first of nearly five months of caucuses and primaries. In July and August, Republicans and Democrats will officially select their party's presidential candidates ahead of the general election on the 5th of November. Meanwhile, sickness has delayed a trial in the defamation case brought against Donald Trump by writer E. Jean Carroll. Jurors will determine how much Mr Trump should pay Ms Carroll for defaming her in June 2019. Rachel Hayter reporting. Preparations are continuing in North Queensland, with the tropical low hovering off the coast likely to develop into a cyclone today. The system has slowed down and is moving at about eight kilometres an hour, which forecasters say is a good sign it might not be as fierce as first predicted. But there are still concerns about the amount of rain expected in the days after the storm, as Rachel Mealy reports. The huge, menacing weather system is about 600 kilometres off the coast and moving southwest. Angus Hines is senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. It is indeed likely to become a tropical cyclone, but it hasn't yet become a tropical cyclone. It's not reached that strength or that intensity quite yet. In fact, it's developed a little bit slower than what we were forecasting a couple of days ago. And that also means it's likely to arrive at the coast, perhaps just slightly less intense than what it could have done if it had developed that little bit quicker. He says in any cyclone, the most destructive winds usually occur on the southern side of the system. We often see the most severe weather with a coastal crossing just on the south side of the storm and that's why we've currently got our tropical cyclone warning in place for coastal areas from Eyre down to Mackay, there just south of Townsville. And we are expecting it to be a Category 2 storm as it crosses the coast late on Thursday. Grant Lewis owns Whitsunday Sailing, a charter company based in Airlie Beach. He owns two 60-foot sailing boats that will see out the storm in the marina. You're looking at a lot, of, a lot of wind and a lot of rain, so making the vessel watertight and also um, ready to withstand um, some pretty strong winds. Basically, it means we take all our sails off. We take any, any, anything off the vessel that can be a flying object. One of his boats was damaged in 2017 when Cyclone Debbie hit the region. It 
was by another vessel breaking away in the marina and colliding with ours. Um, so, yeah, that, that is always a worry. But at the moment, both of my vessels are in their own pen, so they're a lot safer in, in that situation. I only have to worry about my own boats pretty much. Daniel Lefer runs Dean Farms in Giru, south of Townsville. He says he's fortunate to have harvested the last of his mango crop two weeks ago. Now he just has to make sure the cattle are ready. Mainly we're just worried about anything loose blowing off, so we're just tying down anything that could blow away and nothing nothing too serious really. Making sure the cattle are out, out of um, low-lying areas. Uh, so they're up, up a bit higher out of the wet. Queensland cane growers chairman Owen Menkins is working hard to get his property at Home Hill in the Burdekin region ready for what's ahead. The last few big cyclones have been sort of March, April, where the crop is a bit bigger. Um, there's a lot of smaller plants at the moment um, and so there is a concern that it'll snap snap the cane off. Um, so, yeah, we're in the middle of, we have a 12-month crop, so, you know, we harvest from June to November, so we're kind of in the middle of, uh, but the stuff that was harvested late, um, it may be a bit small, so there's a bit of a worry that some of it may snap, depending on how the wind comes through, which can damage the crop for the 24-year. The Weather Bureau says coastal communities will start feeling the effects of the storm system later today. Rachel Mealy reporting... The eastern states are set to swelter through the long weekend, with a heatwave expected to deliver record temperatures. Some parts of New South Wales will see their hottest day in four years, with minimum and maximum temperatures set to soar. Health authorities are urging vulnerable Australians to take extra care to avoid heat-related illnesses. Elizabeth Cramsey reports. Across eastern Australia, it's already hot, but it's about to get hotter. High temperatures are about to hit, with New South Wales bearing the brunt of it. And residents in the state's north are expected to be the worst affected. Tom Saunders is a meteorologist with the ABC. In New South Wales, the hottest temperatures will be in the far west of the state. However, the severity of the heat wave is considered higher, uh, even towards the north coast of New South Wales. And that's just because a heat wave is not classified only by the absolute temperature. Uh, it also factors in what those temperatures are compared to average. So with the coastline on average being cooler than the west, uh, it is an extreme heat wave for parts of the lower mid-north coast and a severe heat wave for much of central and northern New South Wales from the western border all the way to parts of the coast. So what's causing this sudden spike in an already hot summer? Tom Saunders says severe heat building across Western Australia last week is now moving east. It's due to what's called an upper high over the central interior of the country. Now, under an upper high, you have air that's sinking towards the surface. And whenever you have air sinking, it warms up quite rapidly. So we've got sinking air over inland Australia. And then at the surface, we'll have a northwesterly airstream that will carry that hot air from the, the scorched desert areas towards the New South Wales coastline. Severe heatwave conditions are also expected over inland, southern and western parts of Queensland, while a low-intensity heatwave is expected for Brisbane and the southeast. Further south, it could be the hottest day in a few years for parts of New South Wales. We're probably going to see the hottest temperatures in four years. Uh, that includes Armidale, Broken Hill, Maitland-in-the-Hunter, Tamworth, Taree and also Tipperbara and Wilcannia.
with more normal summer temperatures returning from Friday onwards. Cool change from the south will arrive across the southern half of New South Wales on Friday, although for the central parts of the state, it's really not going to arrive until later on Friday, so Friday is still going to be a hot day. Uh, that subtly change then quickly moves up the north coast on Saturday. As some Australians prepare to spend the Australia Day long weekend at the beach and by the pool, authorities are urging everyone to be prepared. Dr Jeremy McAnulty is from New South Wales Health. If you are going out and about, make sure you're prepared for hot weather. So wear comfortable, loose-fitting clothing that's not too heavy. Wear a hat, sunscreen, sunglasses. Carry water with you because in hot weather you'll dehydrate more and keep up your, your water, so drink more than you would normally do. And those not intending to spend the day outdoors need to be prepared too. Before the hot air gets into your house, close the doors and windows close blinds so that the sun doesn't come in and heat up your house and use the air conditioning. Or if you don't have air conditioning, fans are, can be very effective as well. Dr Jeremy McAnulty from New South Wales Health ending that report by Elizabeth Cramsey. And that's all from the World Today team. Thanks for your company. I'm Stephanie Smale.